There's just two verses we're going to look at in Philippians uh, chapter four. Uh, but let me set us up, uh, set up our, our, our time for you first. Okay. So uh, I want to talk about having peace when we're just overwhelmed with anxiety. How can we have peace when we're overwhelmed by uh, anxiety? And we're, this is part two in this series, this teaching series we're calling Fear Over Faith. And the reason we're going through this is because, man, when we look around, um, a lot of us, a lot of the people around us, we see people feeling anxious, feeling fearful, uh, maybe frustrated, uh, have questions and, and, and just looking for hope. And so we're walking over these next few weeks on the idea of how can we have faith instead of fear, faith over fear. And this morning, we're going to focus on having peace when we're just feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. And look, even before COVID-19, I mean, the people of our nation uh, have been anxious people, right? Even before all of this, we have struggled with anxiety. Uh, they, I was reading that uh, over the last century, each new generation has struggled with depression and anxiety much more than the previous generation. And so that's growing exponentially. In a recent study I looked up at the Journal of Clinical uh, Psychiatry, uh, it said that somewhere between 20 and 25%, almost a quarter of the American adult population uh, says that they struggle with what we would call overwhelming anxiety. And so you take all of that, uh, our struggles, our normal struggles with anxiety uh, that we've had, and then on top of that, you put a global pandemic, and then just the weight of that struggle starts to really feel heavy, right? And that's kind of the way that Solomon puts it in Proverbs chapter 12. Solomon starts that verse by saying, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. How many of us can relate to that verse right now? You're worried, you have anxieties, you're going through some difficulties right now, and it feels like a weight, feels like it's weighing you down. Uh, it kind of reminds me uh, of um, kind of what happened to me on my uh, uh, morning run on Tuesday. Uh, I use this app called run the Nike Running Club. Uh, it's a popular app, so some of you might have it. Uh, but it's this app that really helpfully keeps track of like your speed and your pace and your distance. And so you can kind of see your improvements over time. Uh, and it's got this, uh, this audio voice that from the app that comes in through your headphones to kind of coach you uh, along the way uh, if you turn that feature on. And one of the default features is that whenever you stop running, like if something just runs in front of you, you have to stop or maybe you have to bend down to tie your shoe or, or wait for a crosswalk. Anytime that you have to slow down and stop, the app, in order to not mess up your pacing, uh, pauses for you. And then on your headphones, you hear pause, pausing workout. That's what it says. Um, well, on Tuesday, um, something funny happened to me. On Tuesday morning, my family actually joined me. And so uh, my wife and, and, and my wife was running. Uh, my daughter was on her scooter. And then I had the two young boys um, with me. Uh, and I was pushing them on a stroller. And man, I had no idea 
how much harder it would be to run while pushing a stroller with just a little bit of weight. Like my boys aren't, I mean, they're not too big, they're not too heavy. And so uh, it was just wild to me though, how much harder it got to push them. It was crazy the difference that a little weight makes. And the funny part is I was going so slow as I was like genuinely trying so hard to push them as I was running that like no less than 10 times, the Nike app started telling me through my headphones, pausing workout. (laughs) It was so embarrassing. I'm like, what do you mean pausing workout? I'm running. And they keep going, pausing workout because I was going so slow. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying. This weight is just keeping me back. It's holding me down. I swear I can do better than this. Now, our anxiety feels a lot like that. It weighs us down, like Proverbs 12 says. Carrying around anxieties is like piling on all these extra weights in this stroller. And we deal with this from early on. Even from early on in childhood, we start to worry about what are others going to think about us. It causes us worry. Then we get a little bit older and maybe you get anxious about, um, hey, am I ever going to amount to anything? Right. And then uh, you get over, you transition into adulthood, and then you start to uh, get anxious or worry about just your life stage. Like, hey, uh, 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 what, 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 what college am I going to go to? Or what career path should I choose? Am I going to get married? Who should I marry? Are we going to have kids? Where do we live? And every single one of those things is like more weight being added to the stroller. Not to mention all the common anxieties that we kind of constantly have that are always cycling through, like anxieties related related to finances or related to time. And then when you add on top of all of that, a global pandemic, when you add to all that, the coronavirus, a COVID-19 and all of the worries and anxieties that are sort of tied to that, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, questions about, uh, hey, is it, what's going to happen to our economy? How's this going to affect our job or my job? How is this going to affect my schooling or, or maybe my kids' schooling? Uh, am I going to stay healthy through this? How am I feeling? Like, am I should I be worried that I might get sick? Am I worried that uh, I I I don't won't have enough food if they close the grocery stores down, or that I don't have enough essentials? Um, and then we just feel weighed down. Every single one of those is just like a new weight being added as we're trying to push forward. And instead of hearing pause workout, it's almost like we're hearing pause life. Because it's getting so heavy. We're having, a hard, having such a hard time pushing forward that you almost feel like it's in a stand, standstill. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us are feeling that weight right now to where your anxieties and your worries, you feel that weight? And so then the question we ask is, what do we do about that? What does the Bible have to say about that? How should the Christian respond? And I want you to see how Proverbs 12, 25 finishes, that verse that we we, we read earlier, because I I love this. It says, um, I'll read the whole verse again. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but, but a good word makes him glad. Our worries, our anxieties, they feel like a weight weighing us down, but a good word that has the power to make us glad. I think it's safe to say we need a good word this morning, especially if you're feeling what you might describe as overwhelming anxiety 
you need a good word this morning. I need a good word this morning. And so as I've been praying and just preparing this message for you uh, for this morning, morning, just thinking about uh, and, and praying for each of you this week, my hope is that right now, that this morning, you would hear a good word from our time this morning that you would receive a good word that makes your heart glad in God. And so I think the best place for us to go, I asked you to turn there earlier, is Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 is written by Paul. He's one of the apostles. He wrote most of the New Testament. uh, And he is writing while he himself is in a period of uh, just suffering and difficulty and trials. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. And he is writing a letter to the church in Philippi in order to encourage them from his own life and example. He's encouraging them on, hey, here's what we can do when we're feeling anxious and worried. And so I want to read our passage Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, just two verses. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll... We'll, we'll kind of tease those verses apart, okay? Uh, Lord, thank you for keeping your word throughout the years, throughout the centuries, so that we could hear from you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just make our time helpful for all of us. Spirit, I pray that you would make my words truthful that you would make my words helpful to the scriptures and ultimately helpful for those who are feeling anxious and hopeful for all of us. And give us, Lord, a good word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here's the big idea. All right, I'll give you the big idea on The front end. The big idea for chapter four, verses six and seven, is that because of Christ, when we turn from anxiety and to prayer, we can rest in the promise of peace. That's our big idea for this morning. Because of Jesus, when we turn from anxiety and turn to prayer, we can rest in the promise of peace. And so let's look at that. First, let's look at what it looks like to turn from anxiety. Number one, turn from anxiety. Read the first few verses of verse six with me. Again, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if we're honest, When we read a command like that, we're thinking, uh, you know, that's a hard command to read. That sounds like a hard command to obey. Do not be anxious. Like just the whole thought of, okay, whenever I worry, I have to not be anxious. Uh, Just the thought of trying not to be anxious makes me anxious and probably makes a lot of us anxious. And so here's the thing though. As soon as we start to to use the word anxiety, we need to define what we mean by that. As soon as we use the word like anxious or anxiety, we need to define what we're talking about because I can mean a few different things by using the word anxiety. So what do we normally mean when we use that word uh, anxiety? Typically, 
when you hear the word anxiety or when you use the word anxiety, what we mean is like a feeling of worry or concern or discomfort because of some like unknown potential outcome, right? Is that, do you, do you uh, resonate with that? Um, like the, the, to just this feeling of worry or discomfort or concern because of some potential, uh, uh, just unknown outcome. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, the American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, uh, worried thoughts, and not or, but and physical changes like increased blood pressure. And so according to the American Psychological Association, it's not just an emotion or feeling, but it also has physiological, chemical, biological changes that are going on too. Uh, so things like anxiety disorders or depression or panic attacks. You have symptoms that come up like irritability, high blood pressure, shortness of breath, uh, things like that. And look, I know that there are a lot of us who are familiar with these things to, to, to various degrees. And so if we have these different uh, definitions and understandings of anxiety, like is it a feeling and emotion or is it feeling and emotion plus, uh, you know, these physiological things, because we have these different uh, definitions uh, swirling around, we need to be careful. We need to be careful and mindful not to force our definition and our understanding onto how the Bible uses the word anxiety how Paul's using this word anxious in this passage. So if you're someone who has a medical, like a, a, a medical or clinical anxiety order, the temptation might be to read something like, do not be anxious about anything and wonder, is my anxiety sinful? Is there something wrong with me? Is God mad at me because of this? But, but, but it's important to clarify that that is not the kind of anxiety we are speaking about, okay? That's not the kind of anxiety spoken of in Philippians 4. In fact, that same Greek word for uh, anxious, uh, this word merimnao, that's the roots, uh, and other forms of that word are actually used positively. Uh, like what actually once earlier in Philippians, it's talking about Timothy and how he has this godly love and concern, this godly anxiety for this church, Philippi, that he cares so much about. Uh, and one of Paul's other letters, uh, like to the church in Corinth, I think it's second, first or second Corinthians, uh, one, uh, but, but in one of his other letters, he talks about, uh, his godly concern, his good concern or anxiety, uh, for the churches that he deeply loves. And so, uh, if that's the case, then we got to ask ourselves, what is it that Paul means? What does Paul mean when he uses that word anxious, when he says, do not be anxious? Uh, I, I, this really helpful, uh, definition I heard, uh, it was actually pretty recently. I was listening to a sermon, uh, by David Platt. Uh, he is a pastor uh, of a church right outside of DC. Uh, and he gave a, a, a working biblical definition of anxiety that I think is really helpful for us, uh, as it pertains to this verse. And so I'm just going to read his definition, uh, that I heard. He says that according to scripture, anxiety can be described as carrying concerns in this world in such a way that we lose perspective on life and or we lack trust in God. And so 
Pastor Platt, he says that according to scripture, anxiety, the way that we can define it in scripture is anytime that we sort of carry with us concerns in this world uh, in such a way that we start to lose perspective on life and or we start to lack trust in God. I think that's a really helpful, fantastic definition for anxiety as we're looking at it in this verse. And so to, to just with that in mind, whenever Paul talks about anxiety in this passage, when he says, do not be anxious, the kind of anxiety he's speaking of is the kind that causes you to lose perspective, the kind that causes you to not trust God. That is the kind of anxiety that weighs the heart down. As a matter of fact, um, the the uh, verse right before this actually helps us see that in context. Uh, in the verse right before this, uh, the apostle makes this declaration. He says in um, at the end of chapter five, he says, "The Lord is at hand." Or if you have a physical Bible with you, and you're, you're just uh, another translation might say, "The Lord is near." Right, and that's because uh, the the word there is inter- interchangeable. The translation it can be the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. Uh, in other words, what he's getting at is that the reason that you can turn from anxiety is because the Lord is near, because He's at hand. It's this reminder that if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Lord's immediate presence, His imminent presence, we can say, is with you. And so he's saying, look, because the Lord is at hand, verse five, because the Lord is near, you don't have to be anxious. Uh, think about it like this. Um, when, whenever, whenever someone is present with you, that is going to change your disposition or your behavior, right? Like you're going to act differently than if you were just, if you thought you were alone. If somebody was present near you, that would change your posture, your disposition, just the way that you act, your behavior. Uh, and, and, and like, that's why when my daughter is old enough to date, uh, like around 25, right? <laughs> when my daughter is old enough to, to date, uh, when, when she goes on that first date and the guy picks her up, I plan to go with them right? I'm going to go with them on that first date because I know that presence changes your behavior and changes your disposition, your perspective. And so now, how is it then that the presence of the Lord, the fact that he is near, that he's at hand, how does that change our perspective? You see, it's because the way that you handle your worries, the way that you handle fears, anxieties, trials, difficulties, the way that we handle those are going to be a direct sort of reflection of your view of God and of your relationship with him. And so, for example, if you understand that God is good, if you can say, I know God is good, I know that he's great, I know that he loves me, that he cares for me, that he is involved in my life, and that he's using everything in my life and his circumstances for his glory and for my good, like if you can say that, and if you know that he's near, then what is there to be anxious about? Think about it. How would that impact the way that your your relationship with your anxieties? It would change, right? It would change your behavior. It would change your disposition. See, that's why verse 5 says, 
the Lord is near, and then is followed immediately by verse six, do not be anxious about anything. You can't, you can't divorce those two statements from each other. The one leads to the other. It's sequential. The Lord is at hand, and so do not be anxious about anything. And understanding that is key. It's so important that the command to not be anxious about anything uh, uh, is rooted in, 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 in knowing that God is near. You see, it's not about losing touch with reality. All right. It's not about having this naive perspective uh, or this ignorant perspective that um, uh, where it's like out of sight, out of mind. These troubles aren't really here. Uh, no, no. The command to be not anxious about anything is not about losing touch with reality. It's actually having a much better grasp of reality where we start to take our eyes off of uh, what's in front of us. We start to take our eyes off of today's worries and our temporal circumstances, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the sovereign Lord over all. So not being anxious about anything, it requires having the ability to say, look, God, even though things kind of stink right now, even though they're hard right now, even though they're so difficult. I know that you're good. I know that you love me. I know that you care. I know that you're involved, that you're near. And I know that you're teaching me something through this, that you're caring for me in the middle of this. And I know, I trust that I am going to see and experience more of your goodness, more of your truth, and see more of the beauty of Christ on the other side of this. Not being anxious requires the ability to pray and talk like that. And so maybe ask yourself right now, where is it that you look for peace? Where is it that you, what is it that you stand on for, a, for hope, for a solid foundation? Um, a couple years ago, my wife Alyssa and I, we went on this gondola ride for her birthday in Newport Harbor. And... This gondola ride was like, it was like the whole deal where the guy uh, showed up in like this striped shirt and this fancy hat and he had this red, uh, you know, cloth sort of like tied around his neck and he sang to us. He serenaded us while he, you know, he, he, he brought us down the harbor. It was kind of awkward. Uh, but like when, when we, we first showed up to the gondola place on the harbor, um, he met us and he was all happy and excited and he, he started to, to just explain to us how uh, uh, how lucky we were uh, to be able to ride uh, one of the original gondolas that they had. They had like this cancellation, so they, uh, they, they, they gave us a special upgrade. We got to ride one of the original gondolas. It was really old. I think it was built in like 1905 or 1906. And he's so excited to tell me about this. And so I'm like listening, just uh, going like, oh, wow, like that's really cool. But then as he continues to talk about how old this thing is, I'm like, hey, is this thing safe? <laughs> Should I be worried right now? Uh, and so when we boarded the gondola, I was kind of like skittish. Uh, and, and on top of that, uh, the, 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 the deck... Um, the dock was kind of up here and the gondola was down there and the waters were really choppy and it was kind of swaying back and forth. Uh, and so I was a little nervous to board onto the gondola, but cause it was so trippy stepping into it or tricky stepping into it. Uh, but we were able to board, we were safe, we were secure. And you know why? It's because the boat, the gondola was tethered to the dock. 
The gondola was tethered to, it was attached to, tied to the dock. You see, even though the water was choppy and the, the step down was steep and that it seemed challenging, I could be secure and safe because the dock was secure. The gondola was tied to the dock. It was tethered to solid ground. What does that have to do with peace and anxiety? It's because you want to know the way that you and I can have peace is by being tethered to the solid ground, by being tethered to the solid rock that is Christ Jesus. And so I just want to ask, like, are you, is, are you tethered to Christ in this? Are you tethered to Christ right now in your worries and your anxieties and your concerns and your questions and hopes? In the middle of this pandemic, are you tethered to Christ right now? You see, the thing about our anxieties is they actually start to reveal where our hope really lies. The thing about our anxieties, uh, whether you're worried about you know, your finances or your food or just whatever it is, um, it, it, whatever your, it produces your anxieties starts to reveal what it is that you really tied to, where your hope really lies. And it is impossible to be tethered to Christ and drown in a sea of anxiety at the same time. You can't, you can't do the both. We see when we start to worry, it's almost like a stress test that diagnoses what our hope is really built on. So that's why Paul says, look, the Lord is at hand. That's why you got to turn from uh, anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, but then don't just turn from something, but I want you to turn toward somewhere. He says, number two, we need to turn to prayer. All right, look at verse six again with me. I'll read the beginning again, and then we'll read actually all the way to the end. Verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request, let your request be made known to God. What he's saying here is that there's really just, there's two different realities that you can experience when you're going through hard times. There's two different realities that you can experience when you're going through life's trials. There's either anxiety or peace. There's worry or restfulness. And the way that you move from the one to the other, Paul says, is through prayer. He says that the Lord is at hand. If the Lord is near, then you can pray. The way you cannot be anxious about anything is by, in everything, praying. I love the way Don Carson puts this. He's got this great little line on his commentary that summarizes Paul's thoughts here. He says, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. How many of us would like to be anxious about nothing? D.A. Carson, Don Carson, he says the key is to be prayerful about everything. That's what this verse says, right? That's what Paul's saying. In everything, pray. 
That means all things, all right? Nothing is off limits, which should be comforting to us, okay? That should be comforting. That means that all things, all circumstances, nothing's too small, nothing is too trivial uh, for him. This is the God who runs the universe, yet he cares for you. That's mind-blowing, right? The God who made it all, the God, God who is currently sustaining it all, he also cares for you. Man, that is amazing grace. The Bible tells us he even knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your thoughts before you even think him. He cares about you. So your worries about your health, hey, look, they're not too small for him. Your worries about your job or your finances or the economy right now, they're not too small for him either. Your temptations that you're experiencing with your, your idle time that you have right now, uh, maybe it's temptation to fall into sin with this idle time, like, like, like they're not too hard for God to deal with. Your worries about your needs, your essential needs, whether the stores are going to be open, whether you're going to have enough toilet paper, in the end of two weeks, your toilet paper supply, nothing is too small. <laughs> nothing is too trivial. And so what is it about prayer that uh, settles our hearts? What is it about prayer that actually helps our anxious heart? Prayer, if you think about it, is simply talking honestly with God. It's coming to God through Jesus and simply talking to him honestly. And just to be clear, that means that it's not about vain repetition. It mean, doesn't mean that you have to, it means that you don't have to impress God with your prayers. It's not about putting a religious front on. Uh, and, and some of us really need to hear that, right? Like it's simp that it's not about, uh, we don't have to polish ourselves in our prayers. It's simply about talking to God, uh, the Father, with childlike faith. You might need to hear that because you might be in this place this morning uh, where uh, maybe you're new in the faith. You're exploring this Jesus thing for the first time and, and you, 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 you kind of feel uh, nervous, anxious maybe even, uh, about uh, praying rightly, right? Like, well, what if I mess it up, right? Or, 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 or maybe you might uh, be a follower of Jesus, uh, mature in your faith, but with everything going on, you just feel like you don't have the words to say. And look, regardless of where you're at, Regardless of where you're at with that, I just want to tell you, that's 100% okay, all right? It is 100% uh, okay. You don't have to uh, 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 impress God or earn your way in. You just have your his ear by grace. Um, I'll give you an example. My youngest son, Judson, he's one years old, um, so he can't talk much right now. Uh, he can't say "I am hungry" or "I'm hungry." He, but he he can he can grunt, he can sign. Uh, he makes this this uh, you know "I'm hungry" sign, and uh, he he grunts. He goes uh, uh, and 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 uh, he just like moans and grunts. Uh, and and when he does that, I know exactly what he means. I know what he means. I know what he wants, and I'll go get him food. Right. Like, I don't tell my son that he can't have food. I don't tell my one-year-old that he can't have food unless he can clearly say, until he can grow up and clearly say, you know, Father who art in the kitchen, uh, uh, I bid you to bring me the nourishments, right? Like, no, he doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to communicate like that. He just has to grunt and sign to me, and I see him. 
I understand him. I know what he's trying to say. Uh, I'm with, and I'm with him. I'm near him and I'll, I'll feed him. I'll provide for him in that moment. And you know what? The first time that he signed like that, I didn't care that he couldn't say it out fully. Like I just celebrated. I just celebrated that he's trying to communicate with me. And look, that's a picture of prayer for us. That's a picture of God's heart and posture towards us in the gospel. That God has this welcoming heart toward his children. He comes down to our level to give us his ear. We don't have to work our way up. He comes down to us. Or what about Jesus's words? Jesus, he doesn't say, come to me, all you who have learned how to pray impressively. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, uh, come to me, all you who have learned how to pray impressively. No, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is that the criteria for coming to Jesus in Matthew 11 is weariness. That's the criteria. You want to know what you need to gain access to Jesus? Weariness. We don't have to work our way up to him. He comes to us in our weariness. He wants to come with uh, he wants us to come with our mess, with our overwhelming anxieties, our fears, our difficulties, our honest questions and doubts. He wants us to come with our pains and and edges, all of that. That's why it says by prayer and supplication. Paul says to pray uh, with supplication. Supplication simply means to humbly petition. It's about having this heart posture of humility, of reverence, of, of just expressing our need and vulnerability and dependence. Uh, it, that, that, that's what it is. It's about just being honest about that. That's what God requires from us. That's what we bring to the table. We don't, we're not required to bring anything to the table except our need. That's the beauty of the gospel. Now, you want to know what it is about prayer that makes it such an effective cure to anxiety? Now, if you think about it, it really becomes obvious when you start to compare anxiety and prayer, right? When you compare anxiety and prayer, you begin to see really clearly um, uh, uh, how and why uh, uh, prayer is an effective remedy and cure for anxiety. Like, for example, anxiety. Uh, with anxiety, you, you usually have this narrow view of life to where all you see are the problems that are right in front of me, just the present. That is all that I see right now. But in prayer... You have this huge and expansive view of life in which God is good and in control. He is sovereign over it all, over the past, the present, and the future. With anxiety, you, you have uh, like your present problems and issues. Those, become, those are what's most significant to you because it's right in front of you. But with prayer, Jesus is so significant, so magnificent and beautiful that everything else starts to shrink into or insignificance. With anxiety, we look inwardly in order to solve our problems. But in prayer, we look to God in order to endure through our problems. With anxiety, 
what ends up happening is we usually end up expressing our fears. But in prayer, usually what spills out is our faith. With prayer, it's faith over fear. You see, that's why the Christian life, it runs on the power of prayer. It is fueled by the power of prayer, not by coffee, not by Chick-fil-A, not by the current news cycle, but by prayer. Humility and prayer, that is the remedy to anxiety. Um, I want you to look at the way the Old Testament prophet Isaiah articulates this in Isaiah chapter 26. Verse 3 He's praying to the Lord and he says this. He says, you, Lord, you, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. In other words, he's saying, look, Lord, everyone who trusts you, everybody whose mind is fixed on you is somebody who trusts you, is somebody who has perfect peace. You know what an expressed prayer looks like? It looks like perfect peace. It looks like a lack of anxiety. You know what an unsaid prayer looks like? It looks like worry and anxiety. Instead of connecting with God and depending on Him, we start to depend on and hope in things that really just can't ultimately help us, can't ultimately save us. I want you to look as this verse continues to unfold. Um, He continues to clarify what kind of prayer posture we should have. He says in verse 7, we need to pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. He says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, the challenge is we need to have let thanksgiving and gratitude form and fashion our prayer lives. In other words, we should have this posture of thanksgiving towards whatever it is that God is going to do with our prayer requests, right? You know what, you know what that looks like? It looks like say, praying things like, like saying, uh, look, God, I'm, I pray, I'm praying to you. I, I, I cast my anxieties upon you. All my worries, all my anxieties, I just give them to you, Lord. Look, God, here's what I'm asking for. I'm asking that you would take these from me. I'm, pray, I'm praying, God, that, that as I surrender these to you, that however you choose to answer this prayer, however you choose to respond to this request, it's good with me. I trust you. I, uh, I know you care for me. I know that you're in control and I just completely trust you and I'm just grateful for it. Whatever you're going to do, I'm grateful for it because I trust you. You see, when we pray like that and we have that sort of posture in our prayer life, when we start to thank God ahead of time for however he will answer the things we request of him, you know what that's doing in our hearts? It's allowing us to express confidence and trust in his wise and good control over our lives. It's a surrendering to him. It it makes much of him. It honors him. And so whenever you're feeling that weight, that heaviness of anxiety, let that be a prompt for you to pray. All right? 
Let it be a prompt for you to pray, kind of like a timer, right? When you set a timer and the timer goes off and you hear the sound, it prompts you to do something, right? Either prompts you to wake up uh, or prompts you to, 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 to turn off the oven or, or to take a water break. Uh, and so uh, uh, let, let, let your anxieties, let your worries be when, when you notice them, when you're listening to them, you need to say, oh, you know what? I'm worrying right now. I'm, I'm feeling anxious right now. And that's going to prompt me now to pray. Uh, I, I love this challenge, the way that John Onwachekwa, the way that he uh, 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 um, articulates this. Uh, John Onwachekwa is a pastor over on the East Coast, and he says, let the temptation to worry serve as like a divine alarm clock, as a divine alarm clock reminding you that it's time to pray. Let the temptation to worry serve as a divine alarm clock reminding you it's time to pray. I love that. And so Paul says, turn from anxiety, turn to prayer in order to not be anxious. And then our last point, he says, when you do that, when you remember the Lord is near, when you turn away from your anxiety and toward prayer, you can rest in the promise of God's peace. And that's our third and final point, rest in the promise of peace. Read verse seven with me. Paul says, when you, when you do this, when you pray in this way, then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the result of a prayerful heart and a thankful heart is that you gain the protection of God's overwhelming peace. If you're overwhelmed with anxiety, then if you're prayerful and thankful, you can gain the protection of God's overwhelming peace. Now, how many of us right now long for that peace? How many of us really want to experience just a tangible expression of that peace? To find the inner peace that is found in God in the middle of a pandemic. Peace in the midst of a pandemic. That sovereign peace is exactly what, what, what is being promised here in this verse. Now, really quickly, it's interesting that this is actually the only place in all the New Testament that the phrase peace of God is used. This is the only place the peace that that phrase Peace of God is used in all the New Testament. You see, because this is different from the having peace with God, right? Having peace with God is something that every Christian has. You already have it if you are a follower of Jesus. You already have peace with God. Like we said, you don't have to earn your way in. You don't have to work your way up to God through prayers and just all these things. Like God has condescended down to you. You don't have to work for peace with God. It's just a gift, right? That's the gospel. Now, Really quickly, some of you might be thinking, man, I don't know if I know that peace, right? Some of you might be wondering if you've ever known that peace, having peace with God, like a real relationship with him. Some, some of you are wondering if you've ever really known Jesus as Lord, considered him as Lord over your life. And so if you're 
joining us today and you're not a follower of Jesus right now, like maybe you clicked on the link out of curiosity or, or maybe somebody that, uh, that just knows you and loves you sent, sent the link to you to, to, thought it might be encouragement to you or, uh, uh, or maybe you're just kind of exploring this whole Jesus thing for the first time because you have questions, you're looking for hope, trying to make sense of what's going on. Uh, if that's you this morning, then just really quickly, I want to sidestep and tell you what it means to have peace with God. Okay. So just really quickly, the big picture sort of storyline of the Bible tells us that every single one of us is created and loved by God. All right. That's very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Every single one of us is made by God and loved by God. But yet, even still, even still, even though that he loved us and made us, even still, we sinned against him both by nature and by choice. And as a result, we are, have been relationally separated uh, from God. And, 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 and because of sin, sin, just because it exists, has now fractured our universe and has brought into the world uh, a sickness and death and uh, um, hardship and disasters and pandemics. All of the things that make us ask, why, Lord? Why are things this way? All the things that make us sort of shake our fists to the heavens and say, God, what is going on? Things are not the way that they should be. But the good news... The good news of the Bible is that God did not leave us like that. He did not leave us alone. The good news of the Bible is that God, as the archetype hero, the one that all the other heroes take their cues from, as the capital H hero, he did not leave us in that mess, but he came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus who lived uh, the life that none of us could ever live, a life without sin. He died a death that we all deserved to die. Even though we, he had no sin, he endured God's wrath in our place to pay the price for our sin. And because he rose from the grave in triumphant victory over sin, death, and all the things that are broken in our world, now anyone Anyone who turns from their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus will be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God for all eternity. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that that is how you have peace with God. And maybe let me encourage you, let me challenge you, to use this time, use this morning. Maybe God's sort of tugging on your heart and I want you to, to maybe consider, hey, maybe this might be the Holy Spirit of God prompting me to pray, to acknowledge that uh, my need for his grace, the ways that I've sinned against God and just to receive forgiveness, receive grace. That is how we can have peace with God. Now, in Philippians 4, Paul is writing to Christians who already know that peace. Christians who already know what it means to have peace with God. And here in verse seven, he's basically telling us, look, you already have peace with God and you can have all of that. You still have all of that, but you can also have more. You can have a peace that is tangible for you in the present moment because, because you're now a son or daughter of the living God in Christ. Now, whenever you pray to God and surrender your worries to him, he will give you the peace of God 
the peace that he possesses himself in the fact that he just is God, right? I want you to think about that for a moment. Like, can you picture God up on his throne in heaven, looking down at all these things unfold, freaking out, going, whoa, I didn't expect that. What are we going to do now, right? What's going to happen next? Uh, and can you imagine God on his throne just being worried about what might happen next? Um, no. Of course, that's not the picture that we have from the scriptures. We have a picture of a God who sits on his throne in his perfect sovereign peace. You don't have to worry because he is in charge. That's what it means to have the peace of God. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what verse uh, seven says. He says, this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it transcends all understanding. In other words, our minds can't even grasp how amazing this, this is, his peace. Our eyes can't even envision it, can't even dream it. This peace is so gnarly, so awesome, so magnificent. It's just beyond us. It's just beyond you. You see, Paul's antidote isn't some like cheap psychological trip trick to get you past like a few problems in life. Like it's not this bait and switch or it's not this like out of sight, out of mind. Paul's not, Paul's answer to anxiety is not a cheap psychological trick. It is a peace that comes from the very nature of God, comes from him. It is of him. It's shaped by him and it's only given by him. Now, what does that peace do for us? This amazing, magnificent peace. Look at the rest of the verse. He says, this peace that surpasses all understandings, it will, here it is, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that word, that word guards in the original Greek, it's this uh, interesting word. It's frurese, uh, or uh, in the uh, uh, root Greek, it's frureo. It's a noun, uh, or not a noun, rather, a military term. It's actually... Uh, a verb, but it's a military term uh, 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 about just guarding with a uh, sort of military force. It's when you guard something with a military might. And so this would have been especially vivid imagery for a guy like Paul, who remember, he's writing this from prison, right? He's writing this letter from a Roman prison for preaching the gospel. And prisons back then in the ancient Near East, they had just a uh, uh, all the prisons had this whole like sort of battalion, uh, this large company of armed soldiers who would stand guard, making sure that no one could get in or get out of the prison who, who, who wasn't supposed to. And so Paul here, he's saying, look, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts and minds, that's the kind of strength it has. He's saying the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds just like that, just like a well-armed fortress. That's wild and comforting. You see, I want you to look what it is that God guards in this way. He says our hearts and our minds. And when the Bible speaks of our hearts and minds, He's not talking about our physical hearts and minds, but he's talking about just the deep-seated center of who we are, the very center of our spiritual lives, where our values, our desires, our thoughts and dreams lie. It's the deepest place that Jesus meets us. It's the place that we need peace the most. And he does all of this, look at the end of verse 7, in Christ Jesus. 
He does all of this in Christ Jesus. And that's where we'll close, by acknowledging that Jesus is the one who provides the peace of God that we all need, the peace of God which guards us. Remember our big idea, that because of Christ, when we turn from anxiety and turn to prayer, we can rest in the promise of God's peace. And so if you want to cultivate the peace of Christ in your life, then man, you need to dwell on him. You need to trust in him, turn to him in prayer. You see, no matter how big you think your worries and anxieties and problems and difficulties are, no matter how big and heavy you feel like your trials are, in reality, they don't even compare with the weight of glory that is found in the cross of Jesus. Compared to eternity and the forgiveness that you have in Jesus, your anxieties grow dim. They're nothing. And one day, the Bible says, we're going to see that. One day, we're going to see clearly that all of these worries and anxiety that we thought were so massive and so big and so heavy and so uh, uh, unable to push uh, were not even real. They didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, that our perception of reality was wrong. Here's how Paul articulates it in his second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, for this light momentary affliction, in other words, this light momentary trouble that you're experiencing is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory not an eternal weight of burden, but an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And then he says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, Paul's saying, look, the things that you're worried about, the things that are right in front of you, they're just so temporary, they're transient. But man, the things of the Lord, the things that last the things of God, his treasures, his nature, his character, your relationship with him, that goes on forever. You see, right now, all around us, a lot of us, a lot of people around us are feeling the weight of anxieties, the weight of our worries because of this pandemic. Well, what we all need is a good word. What we all need when we're feeling the weight of anxiety, is a good word to make our hearts glad, glad in Jesus. You see, Jesus will bring you peace for all your overwhelming anxieties. He will free you from the fears that you have of the future. He will free you from the weight of your worries. He will give you rest in your restlessness, peace in the middle of a pandemic. If you will trust in him, if you will turn to him in prayer, and if you will cast your anxieties on him, he will care for you. He promises peace. So just in closing, my brothers, my sisters, my friends and neighbors, I want to ask you, do you have worries this morning? Are you feeling anxious 
this morning. Then let me invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn to him. Run to him. Give your worries to him. Grab hold of him. Trust him and dwell on him. And of course, pray in his name with great expectant faith that he will guard you with his sovereign peace. And know this morning that if you are in Christ, he has promised to deliver that to you. He has promised the peace of God. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.